This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Friday, July 30th. I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, Ika Eden sentenced in Norwood double homicide. Short-term rental tax raises funds for housing. Telluride Deputy Marshal represents at Tokyo Olympics and a mountain weather forecast. The fifth and final sentencing in connection with the Norwood double homicide took place at the Mesa County Courthouse in Grand Junction on Friday, July 30th. Judge Gretchen Larson sentenced Ika Eden, a member of a doomsday cult, to 96 years in prison for her role in the deaths of 10-year-old Michaela Roberts and 8-year-old Hannah Marshall. Ika Eden was originally deemed unfit to stand trial, however, earlier this year was deemed fit and represented herself in court. At that time, a jury found her guilty on two counts of reckless child abuse resulting in death. In 2017, a small religious group, including Ika Eden, alleged ringleader of the group Madani Seuss, Ashford Nathaniel Archer and Nashika Bramble, the mother of Michaela and Hannah, settled on a Norwood property owned by Frederick Blair. Once on the property, Seuss reportedly sent the two girls, sisters, to a vehicle because they were impure and told the others to withhold food and water. The bodies of the girls were discovered in the vehicle in September. All five adults were arrested. During the sentencing, which lasted just over an hour, the prosecution and defense, Ika Eden representing herself, were given the opportunity to speak. Robert Zentner, assistant 7th Judicial District Attorney, went first. He asked Judge Larson to imagine the case through the eyes of Michaela and Hannah, picturing Ika Eden as a caretaker, a loving figure, a caretaker who later stopped providing food and water for them while they were in the car, walking past them each day, knowing the condition they were in and doing nothing. Zentner recognized an individual's right to practice beliefs, but noted there's a limit, stating, quote, When we talk about freedom, it's the freedom to practice your beliefs. In this case, right here today, the court is tasked with expressing a very logical limit to that freedom, a child's life, the life of two children. Zentner asked for the maximum sentence of nearly 100 years. Ika Eden went next. In her speech, she acknowledged that if she acted delusional or in error, she deserves the maximum sentence, but she does not believe she acted in error. Speaking of the cosmos, karma, and reincarnation, Ika Eden assigned members of the case, the girls, the prosecution, and judge, as characters throughout history. Characters included the devil Cain and Satan Abel, Anne Frank and Adolf Hitler. She ended by speaking directly to Judge Larson, quote, Your Honor, I have nothing more to say. The ball is in your court. And in her sentencing, Judge Larson immediately rejected Ika Eden's claim of a, quote, cosmic case. Speaking on Ika Eden's beliefs, Larson called them, quote, a twisted perversion of what religion should be, of what Christianity should be, of what Judaism should be. Larson stated she doesn't believe Ika Eden would act differently if given the chance again. A number of Ika Eden's co-defendants, including ringleader Madani Seuss, received lesser sentences for their crimes. To that, Judge Larson said she didn't know the details of those cases, stating Ika Eden's actions warranted the maximum sentence. 
Ika Eden is the final person involved in the case to receive sentencing. Ringleader Madani Seuss was found guilty on two counts of child abuse resulting in death and received 64 years in prison. The girls' mother, Nashika Bramble, was found guilty on two cases of first-degree murder and received life in prison without parole. Ashford Nathaniel Archer was sentenced to 24 years. Frederick Blair accepted a plea deal and is serving 12 years. For a lot of people in and around Telluride, one of the top issues on their minds is housing. And it's not just an issue for San Miguel County. KOTO has partnered with multiple stations in the Rocky Mountain Community Radio Coalition to report a series of stories looking at economic mobility through housing to understand how the challenges and possible solutions are playing out across the region. But today, we're sticking at home. In 2019, three Telluride locals identified what they saw as a problem. Pepper Raper Contillo was one of them. We see our town is just bleeding people and wonderful people that are volunteers and great workers and wonderful community members, um, and people can't find housing. The Trust for Community Housing, a local housing nonprofit, estimates there are currently fewer than five housing units on the market for rent. And affordable housing projects in the area currently each have wait lists of over 100 people. So, Raper Cantillo and her friends decided to put democracy in action and do something about it. We decided, hey, let's tax the problem and turn the problem into a solution. That solution was a citizen's initiative ballot measure. The citizen's ballot initiative we did was to put an excise tax on short-term rentals within the town of Telluride. We proposed a 2.5% excise tax, and that money was specifically earmarked for the affordable housing budget of town. The measure was aimed at short-term private rentals, like Airbnb or VRBO, and excluded hotels and commercial accommodations. The short-term rentals, Raper Cantillo says, is contributing to local residents losing their long-term housing. Roughly 35% of Telluride's housing stock is currently short-term rentals. That's up from about 20% five years ago. That fall, the measure passed with 56% of the vote. The tax went into effect in January 2020. In the first year, Telluride collected over $400,000 in tax revenue. In 2021, Telluride Mayor Delaney Young anticipates the town will collect $800,000. She says that funding will help float a number of construction projects coming down the pipeline. The town of Telluride is currently building a 30-unit rental project and are planning to break ground on two other housing projects within the next year, adding another 30 to 50 units of housing. You can never really have enough dedicated funding sources for something that is at this level of crisis. We just need to keep our eye on the goal, which is to get as many units built as quickly as we can. And for Raper Cantillo, housing efforts related to the tax are essential to keeping the community sound. For one, she says the lack of affordable housing discourages people from starting new businesses in Telluride. They don't want to commit to anything because they don't know at what point they may get kicked out of their housing and have to move town. Mayor Young adds housing is more than just a roof over your head. It has to do with your mental health. It has to do with economic health for the region. Housing is 
if you will, the hub of the wheel and all of the spokes that come off are related to what that stable housing can provide to the entire community for not only the employees who live in it, but the businesses where they work, the schools that their children attend, et cetera, et cetera. Now, the idea for a short-term rental tax didn't appear out of thin air. Other mountain towns, including Crested Butte, provided a roadmap for what the tax could look like in Telluride. Voters there passed a tax on short-term rentals that took effect in 2018. Having a defined revenue stream that's been pretty consistent these past few years is a great benefit for the community and for the Affordable Housing Fund. It certainly gives us the stability to do things um, that we couldn't necessarily plan on being able to do in years prior. Dara McDonald, town manager for the town of Crested Butte. She notes the town collects about $400,000 a year from the tax, which goes back into the town's affordable housing fund. It certainly has not impeded rentals. We just continue to see growth in the revenue um, numbers that we're receiving. But McDonald and Raper Cantillo recognize the tax is just one element. It's not enough. Um, we still, like like Telluride, have a huge uphill battle to be able to secure sufficient housing for our local workforce. This is one small puzzle piece of many actions we can take. And, you know, some say 2.5% wasn't enough to make it worth it, so we shouldn't have done it at all. But if you look at it, at the end of the day, it's raising funds that were not there before. And now more locals are stepping in again. A new citizens initiative to cap the number of short-term rentals in Telluride is working its way to the ballot this fall. The 2020 Olympics are in full swing. Swimmers are swimming, runners are running, gymnasts are gymnasticking, and fencers are from Telluride. Today, we are replaying a story from earlier in the summer, highlighting one local resident representing 8750 in Tokyo. KOTO's Matt Hoish has more. For the last year and a half, Jimmy Moody has been leading a double life. Part of the time, he's a deputy with the Telluride Marshals Department, but the other half, he's a world-class fencing coach. And the two roles aren't as different as you would think. The majority of coaching is learning how to say the same thing a thousand different ways. And then also just being infinitely patient. Those are both skills that have translated to the marshals department and law enforcement that have made me extremely successful in this town. And learning to listen to understand rather than listen to respond or to argue. And Moody is good at what he does. In a few weeks, he's heading to Tokyo as a fencing coach on Team USA for the Summer Olympics. It's a pretty remarkable streak, especially for someone who really more or less stumbled into the game. Growing up in Colorado, Moody got into fencing at 14 after his parents told him he needed to find an after-school sport. And so this short, chubby Asian kid started following his friends to every different sport, and um, fencing is like the coach just like hooked me up and he's put a sword in my hand was like, survive. And I was like, I want to live. It's like, it got me going, got me motivated. I have a strong survival instinct, it turns out. Strong enough to become the captain of the Penn State fencing team, win two NCAA championships, get onto Team USA, and help train at the London Olympics. In 2016, Moody retired from the sport. After some time, he decided to give back to his home state, by going into law enforcement. Sort of the team dynamic, I'm not stuck behind a desk, I get to be out and about, interacting, chatting. It just sort of clicked and it fit as a great way for me to sort of pay that debt. Moody joined the Telluride Marshals Department in early 2020, but fencing found a way back into his life. 
Around the same time, Nicole Ross, an old fencing friend, asked him to jump back in to coach her. Ross had competed in the London Olympics and was eyeing the Tokyo Olympics. Moody was game. I have no desire to coach anyone but Nicole. She's the only person I would work with in the United States or in the world. But it wasn't just any coaching. Ross needed Moody to help her recover from a massive setback. In December 2019, she tore her ACL. According to Moody, that would be a career-ending injury for most people. It took away her ability to change directions. I was really lost. Nicole Ross. Really depressed and scared, like I didn't know if my career was over. What came next was the definition of determination and audacity. She worked with Moody and others to reimagine how she could fence without an ACL, without changing directions. You were going to be this tank, and you are just going to move forward, and then either they stop and you hit them, or you just plow through them. Like, you just, you don't have a choice. Ironically, Ross feels the constraints also gave her an advantage. Because, she explains, fencing is such an open game. It's hard when you have a lot of options. It can be confusing, and... It can get complicated, but when you have very few options, it kind of quiets your brain a little bit, and you can focus on those few options and be very deliberate. It worked. Ross was seeing great results with the new approach. But then, COVID hit, and she had time to get surgery. This year, she qualified for the postponed Tokyo Olympics. Wait, so you were watching that intel? You were like in the marshal's office? Yeah, I was in the marshal's office. I was at my desk just like grabbing my monitor, shaking it and screaming at it. And everyone's like, are you okay? I was like, I'm fine. Of course, the work isn't done yet, but it's changed. At this point, Moody says most of his job is psychological. Recovery, after all, is more than just physical. Unless you've had a traumatic injury like that, you don't understand the PTSD that comes with it afterwards because you have to understand Nicole had this injury. She tore off her ACL when she was in peak form. She was in a competition. She was in some of the best shape of her life, and she was fencing at some of the highest level of her life, and then it just randomly happened. And I feel like that plants this seed in your mind, whether you're aware of it or not subconsciously, where you're like, wow, like anything could happen at any time, and she's coming back. She's feeling strong. She's feeling good, but... She was also feeling strong and good when the injury happened. Still, with less than a month until the games, both Moody and Ross are in good spirits. I definitely feel more prepared than I ever have for these Olympics. The person who Nicole is now, as a person, as a fencer, as an athlete, is exactly who she needs to be to win a medal. COVID precautions mean it's going to be an Olympics like no other. But at least Telluridians can watch the games and know a local voice is there cheering and coaching for Team USA. The play's the thing, and the transfer warehouse is taking it to heart. This weekend, the warehouse will feature local theater makers young and older. Telluride Academy's Thunder Theater will be taking the stage on Saturday with their performance, We March for the Earth, We Know It's Worth. The culmination of three weeks of devising, exploring, storytelling, and adventure— The performance will feature actors aged 10 to 14, the creative drivers and centers of the show. Telluride Theatre will reprise Swords and Songs from Macbeth on Sunday with performances from The Witches, Swordplay from the Actors, and a talkback on the Shakespearean horror. 
Thunder Theater will take place on Saturday, July 31st, with shows at 1 p.m. and 3 p.m. The performance will begin at the outdoor patio of the Wilkinson Public Library and march towards the Transfer Warehouse for the remainder of the show. Swords and Songs will take place at the Transfer Warehouse on Sunday, August 1st. Doors open at 6 p.m. The event starts at 7. Both events are free and open to the community. Put the pedal to the pedal. The Telluride 100 mountain bike race will be busting around town this weekend. The two-loop course weaves riders through town, past the airport, up into Mountain Village, before landing back in town and starting again on Loop 2. Down into Sawpit, up to Hastings Mesa, towards Ofer, before finally making their way back to the base of the gondola. Riders will drop as low as 7,596 feet and beast up to 11,182, starting and finishing at 8750. The Telluride 100 mountain bike race will take place on Saturday, July 31st. Starting and finishing at the gondola station in Telluride, the race will begin at 6 a.m. Nothing ruins a hike in the mountains like a path full of trash. Luckily, there's something you can do about it. The Telluride Mountain Club is hosting another community cleanup this weekend. The Mountain Club is encouraging people to take to their favorite trail, trailhead, campground, or area in town to pick up trash. Trash bags and rubber gloves are available for pickup at the visitor center from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Trash can be dumped at the provided dumpster on the south side of Elks Park. Telluride's Community Cleanup Weekend will take place Friday, July 30th, through Sunday, August 1st. Seven years ago, a pulse of water on the Colorado River at the U.S.-Mexico border temporarily reconnected it to the Pacific Ocean. Scientists used the so-called pulse flow to study what plant and animal life returned to the desiccated delta along with water. Armed with that knowledge, and even during persistent drought, they are trying a new and more targeted strategy this year. KUNC's Luke Runyon has more. It's just after sunrise in the Colorado River's dry estuary in Mexico, and Tomas Rivas is hunched over, using his fingers to comb through small bits of wood. What are you looking for, Tomas? Uh, jumping spider. Jumping spider? Yeah. Rivas is an ecologist with the conservation group the Sonoran Institute, and we're at the place where the river and the ocean used to meet and mix. The exposed salt flats are home to jumping spiders, tiny turquoise fiddler crabs, and hardy species of salt grass. The day we visited, it reached 120 degrees with a cloudless sky. These are harsh conditions here. Rivas says this part of the delta used to be home to a tidal bore, a wave that forms as the incoming tide rushes against the freshwater river. In Spanish, here we, the people locally call uh, burro, el burro, for the tidal bore. It even had a sound, he says, of crashing, rumbling water. The people say, ahí viene el burro. Mm -hmm. uh, it's like uh, the donkey's coming, no? <laughs> Because the Colorado River is so overused in the U.S., the borough hasn't charged in the Delta in decades. Rivas's group is working to bring water back into this part of the estuary and study it. It won't fully revive the tidal bore, but it will be enough to help restore riverine habitat. For Mexico, living uh, with a dead river has been, um, I'll say, sort of a wound. 
Jennifer Pitt runs the Colorado River program for the National Audubon Society. We're upstream of the estuary, next to an irrigation canal, where water diverted near the U.S.-Mexico border makes a hard left turn back into the river's channel. And this is a little bit of repair. For a few months this spring and summer, portions of the Colorado River Delta are flowing again. But unlike 2014's pulse flow, this release of water is targeted to restoration sites. And we're using the irrigation canals to bypass the dry reach and drop the water into the river at the point where the scientists tell us it will do the most good. The Colorado River is grabbing national headlines as water shortages take hold. Hot and dry conditions are coming home to roost in its reservoirs, dropping the two biggest to record lows. Even in a dry year like this one, Pitt says both the U.S. and Mexico have agreed to set aside water just for the environment. And if we don't figure out at this moment how to support the river itself and all of nature that it supports, I fear that we lose them permanently. Not everyone agrees. Some skeptical city leaders and farmers in Mexico say any unused water is wasted. I am kayaking on the Colorado River in its delta in Mexico. There's dragonflies that are sort of skipping across the water. You'll see birds up in the trees. There's a beaver dam just upstream of here. This is 1% of the water that's coming from the U.S., and it, it's building so much into the ecosystem. That's Rocio Torres. She runs the Sonoran Institute's Colorado River Delta Restoration. For me, that means, and for our team, that there's hope, right? Torres says these targeted flows are less flashy and harder to explain than the pulse flow. That event galvanized communities in the region, she says, and it built a base of support from water officials in both countries who agreed to set aside a small amount of water, not for human use. I think that's the way human beings, uh, we learn, we mess things up, we realize we shouldn't have done that. And she says, bringing it back happens little by little. I'm Luke Runyon in Sonora, Mexico. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for showers and thunderstorms tonight with a low in the mid-50s. Saturday, expect showers and thunderstorms with a high near 70 degrees during the day and a low around 50 degrees at night. Sunday should see showers and thunderstorms with a high in the mid-60. Sunday night, showers and thunderstorms with a low around 50 degrees. This has been the news for Friday, July 30th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 728-3206.